Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, folks, this is uh, Jody Burkeen, uh, Man Up God's Way podcast, and I want to thank you for taking time just to listen to this podcast today. I'm really excited about my guest. Um, my guest is John Dale. He is uh, the retired pastor from Glendale Church of Christ in Murray, Kentucky, and the pastor that I actually grew up with who um, has watched me grow from a young boy. I met him, I think, when I was six or seven years old. And I've known him ever since, and we are going to have a great conversation today. John, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, and I'm really glad to get to, to visit with you on the phone and with whoever else might happen to listen. Well, I thank you so much. Uh, you and I, for the last couple of days, have just been reminiscing a little bit, and that's kind of what I want to do today on on the podcast. Um, I know that uh, uh, you have just you've made a, a massive impact in the community that I grew up in in Murray, Kentucky, and um, I wanted to just you know take a little bit of time with you. Uh, I know that you're still doing stuff around the community, but I, I want more importantly, I just wanted to glean as much as I possibly could from you uh, as a pastor, uh, from a pastor who has finished well in his ministry. And I want to, I want to kind of get down to the nitty gritty of how you did it. And, um, and maybe you can help me and others out that are listening to this podcast of, of walking a good godly Christian life for most of, for I should say all your life. So, uh, why don't we start with, uh, your testimony of how you came to know God and maybe, um, share a little bit about your calling and, uh, coming into ministry, and so uh, you can start back as far as you want and uh, just uh, fill us in. Well, I appreciate that. I I really wish I had a spotless background, but I don't, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a little bit skittish about anybody who does or right. thinks he does, because uh, I read somewhere, and I think you've read the same book I have, that says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Amen. So... I'm one of those, and I didn't live a rebellious life. I wasn't wicked as far as the world's definitions are concerned, but I was a trash mouth, smart aleck teenager, and really, you know, I don't, I'm not proud of that at all. But I, I know about it, and I, I've been there. Uh, it's been kind of an advantage in a way because nobody uses double meaning words around me that I don't already know the double meaning. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, there are a few new ones that came along after I got old, but uh, it, it's one of those things where you, you can't unscramble eggs. Right. You've got to go from where you are, and mm. uh, you can quit and crawl off somewhere and not do anything or be embarrassed and all that. And I didn't have any good, any good reason to want to do that. I, I felt like there's some things I could do, even though I had shut some doors and had, some had lost faith and confidence in me because I really wasn't a very nice person. I was, I was friendly and I was witty. I was chosen in my graduating class, friendliest and wittiest. <laughs> they, they didn't give an award for crudest. But, uh, it was just one of those things where I could make something dirty out of anything. 
right. and, uh, yeah. and didn't mind doing it. But uh, again, I, I'm not proud of that. I did it, and I'm not going to lie about it, but I have overcome it. I, one of the things that one of the guys said at our 50th class reunion <laughs> was that the strangest thing about a whole our whole class is that Johnny Dale turned out to be a preacher. <laughs> and everybody laughed, and he said, how did you talk 30 minutes without cussing? I just want to know. <laughs> I said, well, I had to relearn the English language, and, and I had to grow up a little bit and to look somewhere more in, inwardly with a commitment to do something with my life Amen. other than just be a smart alec. I, I have the same comments to, to me as well. It's like yeah. <laughs> I've gone to my class yeah. reunions like, seriously? <laughs> You're a pastor? <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. Well, people can change. Uh, yes. Good night. If we can't change, we're out of business. We don't have a mess. Amen. And I look at the Apostle Paul, although he did it honestly, Right. Uh, he had he could at least plead sincerity. I couldn't even do that. But right. what I did, I grew up in a home, a, a single parent home, where I don't want to say single parent. My grandmother was there a lot, but my mother uh, had uh, left the home when I was born. So I never, I don't miss her because I never had her. Right. And it was a mental uh, illness. It was what they now know as postpartum depression, mm. and she just could not function. And wow. so she was in a mental institution until she committed suicide when I was 11. And uh, and that was sad, and I didn't understand anything about it. But uh, I went ahead. My dad was a, a just an absolutely wonderful man. And he said, if, we're going, if I'm going to raise three boys, and I'm the youngest of the three, he said, if we're going to raise, if I'm going to raise three boys by myself, we're going to church. Oh, wow. And when he said that, he didn't mean we're going to go occasionally or on Easter. He, he said, we're going. Well, we went every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, no matter what. Right. Uh, I was playing baseball when I was in, in Little League, and the baseball field was about 200 yards from the church building. And I had to stop my part of the game on Wednesday night at 7 to go across the the street and, and up the road a little to go to church. I even wore my shin guards. I was a catcher on the baseball team. I wore my shin guards to church, but I went and uh, that was important to him. And I think it was probably overused, but still I was there every time the doors opened. Well, now I look back on it. You'd think I would hate it as an adult. Well, I, I didn't. I, I learned to you know, enjoy being there. And I learned something and uh, appreciate all those nice people in my background. But it was, it was really a matter of go to church. It didn't sound like go worship God or go grow spiritually. Right. Go to church, get an award every year for perfect. Right. So exactly. I did. If I was sick, I could vomit in the church restroom <laughs> just as easily as I could at home. So, and, and I did. I've done that. But the things that I was learning at that time were fundamental things that I needed to know. It wasn't balanced, and, and it was a, a very legalistic, uh, structured environment that I look back on, and I'm pretty sure that it was uh, far to the right of where I am now and far to the right of where would even have been. Uh, sensible back then. Right. But 
I got a lot of facts, and uh, I memorized a lot, and I could memorize easily in those days. Boy, those days are gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do it while you're young if you're going to do it. You better be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm 76 now, and so I, I don't memorize quite as easily. But it was a, a matter of when I was 11 years old, I knew that one thing I had to do was be baptized, and so... On a Sunday night, in fact, it was December 22nd, 1957, uh, I made my way down the aisle at church and I said I wanted to be baptized and everybody was so glad because that was what we were looking for. Right. Uh, looking back on it, we need to be thinking more about commitment to the Lord and conversion and so forth. But I was looking for the water because I had been taught that and that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it wasn't a total loss. I wouldn't I wouldn't make light of it totally. But it was as mature as I knew how to be at eleven, and so uh, I did that. And then I went on through high school and got that over with. And uh, so glad that it was over. When I graduated, I, a lot of people were crying and stuff, and I thought, shout to the Lord, this is over because I am not going to continue that lifestyle. Wow, and so I went to Freed Hardeman College at that time. It's a university now, and um, grew spiritually because I wanted to, mm. and I wanted to build on the foundation that I had gotten. and And uh, it, it was obvious; it was not obvious in my life that I'd gotten anything much, but I did get a lot, and I had a lot of incentive and motivation to try to improve on that and grow spiritually. And, and again, I don't look back on all that as a loss. Right, exactly. I look yeah. back on it as very fundamental, uh, overly structured. And uh, I've, through the years, I've studied the Pharisees, and I would have been a great Pharisee with the information <laughs> because I, I knew what was wrong with everybody else. Right, I could exactly. tell you exactly what was wrong with every church in town. And uh, we were so right that it was hard on me because I saw us in our uh, real lives. Uh, I mentioned to you the other day that the fellow uh, was baptized on a Sunday night and he was cursing on the football field at practice on Monday. Monday, right. Just as much as, yeah. Right. And and I thought, well, there wasn't a lot to happen other than he got soaking wet. Right. uh, Somehow, but I can't judge that. Good grief, I've got enough to take care of myself and not to try to judge everybody else, but so our I, our stories are, are really similar. Um, yeah. I mean, you know my story. Uh, just, sure. And I'm just I've known some of your story, but uh, to hear hear you tell it now, I mean ours are very very similar. Um, you know, I was yeah. under your um, uh, leadership. I think it was right around seven years old. I think um, so. It was in '75. And, um, so 1975, so I was six years old, six or seven years old at Mm -hmm. that time. I was born in 69. Uh So Mm -hmm. we started with my mom and stepdad. Um, I think Jerry was actually going to, uh, your church and then they met and then ended up going to seventh and Poplar. And so 
I kind of, I kind of, you know, in the same understanding was, um, was going to church Sunday, Sunday night and Wednesday night and, Mm -hmm. you know, just became, you know, the, the thing that we did, you know, and back then when we were all growing up, you didn't have, uh, sporting events on Wednesday night and you definitely didn't have anything going on on Sunday. So it was kind of, those were the days to actually do it. And, you know, kind of walking, literally walking your path. It was one of those where, I walked the aisle too. I will never forget Shane Ellis. Um, yes, I remember. Got up one day and he just started walking down the aisle, and I thought, "Well, I'm supposed to follow him." So I, fo- <laughs> I followed him down there. We got baptized, and uh, and yeah. uh, and that was, you know, just like you said, it was we got really good and wet at that time, and uh, yeah. it wasn't until years later when I had kind of taken my own path and my own thought process, especially when I became a teenager. And, you know, knowing it all um, and, and kind of walked away from all of that until I was 33 years old. And I finally had truly been repentant of my sin and believed in Jesus and finally started walking with him uh, through, right. through that process of sanctification. But it's we're it's very similar in our lives, um, you know, in, in kind of that walk. And so you in college, you decided that you were going to learn who Jesus was and, and find right. a spiritual relationship with him. And so uh, right. now you're in college and you're doing that. So how, where do you go from here? Okay. the And it is very similar. I, I've, I've read some of the things that you said about your childhood, mm-hmm. and I've also talked with you about it. I think you're hard on yourself in some ways, which is good as long as it's demanding of yourself for improvement and thankful to God for forgiveness and grace, because thank you, for that, uh, you know, I didn't sort that out for a while, but you were, I remember you very well because your family and my family were close. We ate together. We went to stuff right. after church and, and things like that. And, and you and John <laughs> and Michael and Kelly, and, and we, <laughs> you know, we just did what we did. Right. And, uh, but I, you were always a very kind and cordial person as far as I was concerned. You never were rebellious or disrespectful or anything well, thank uh, you around that. me. Well, I was, well, like, I was kind of like loved. Eddie Haskell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> From Leave it to Beaver, that's that's kind of who I was. You yeah. know, I was really nice yeah. in front of <laughs> Right. At uh, the right times, you knew how to do the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I did that, too. Right. So I saw a lot. Well, you were far more popular, better looking, and they had girls falling all over you. Wow. And, and I, I wasn't jealous, but I remember that, you know, I was working uh, day and night just to stay alive. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I, I didn't get to be as sociable as, as I would have enjoyed being, but, uh, those were good years yes, in a lot were. of ways. I look back yeah. on them. Oh, me. You know, I, I know your your home was was interrupted with divorce and all different kinds of things, but you were loved very much yes. by the adults in your life, your family, and and uh, and and you and John especially. I've kept up with you all more, and and you've made something out of your <laughs> out of your lives that is is just uh, you know I may or may not agree with every detail of the doctrinal things, but. I think underneath all that, there's a, a real heart of commitment and a desire to do what's right and to help people and love Jesus. And Amen. I, I look for that more than I look for church attendance. Amen. Good grief. You can have church attendance. In fact, I did a study a while back of the Pharisees, 
And I kept thinking, good grief, these people are just like what I was trying to do. <laughs> right, exactly. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so smart and so so committed to the law, legalistic law details, that they missed the Messiah when he came. Right. Good yeah. grief. Right. When and, you miss the whole point, why did you memorize all that? And they've been looking for him for thousands of years. Like it was all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, like. They could quote the Torah. Right. And, right. And, and they didn't miss a, a, a dotting an I or crossing a T. They got all that right. And, right. and I, I love to read Matthew 23 because I see Jesus angry and, uh, and, and just hurt because he over and over he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And right. then he talks about straining the gnat and swallowing the camel. You think about that. If you, <laughs> you got a big old bag of soup out there, and the gnat flies in, and you go nuts. Right. But in order to get the gnat out, you have to move a camel's leg. Right. <laughs> the camel is defiling your soup, big boy. Uh, but that's anyway, so good. That's good. That's the teaching of the Lord. But I did, when I finished the thing, I told the people at, at Glendale, I said, I finished that series of studies on the, the Pharisees. And I said, I'm going to get a bumper sticker and put it on my car that says, the more I study the Pharisees, the better I like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I had a dog at that time that when I would come in at midnight or two in the morning, whatever time, any time, that dog would always greet me. And always, the dog had a real good-looking face anyway, and he looked like he was smiling all the time, whether he was or not. <laughs> and uh, and I just enjoyed that welcome home. Everybody else was asleep, and right. normally people sleep at night. But uh, it was just one of those things where the unconditional love that a dog has for you and the no judging. Right. And uh, I could practice preaching, and the dog would listen. <laughs> right, exactly. Wouldn't yeah, and, no uh, judging whatsoever. <laughs> no, none at all. That's a wonderful dog. But as I was trying to develop during my college years, and then soon after I, I uh, during that time, I had been uh, asked to speak at uh, New Providence Church of Christ out in the county here, and that's where I met Marcia. Okay. And uh, I didn't, of course, I didn't know or didn't know the family at all. But on the first day I was there, uh, I she was in the class that I was teaching that Sunday, and then she was there for church. And I spoke to her as she walked out. And I, I got home that day. My dad was living in Paris at that time. And I got home, and I said, I might have met your daughter-in-law this morning. Oh, wow. He said, Oh, really? He said, what's her name? I said, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush me. That's great. <laughs> but anyway, we met. I found out her name and then found out her dad was a dairy farmer and he worked seven days a week and all that. And they were nice people. They were welcoming to me and kind. And so uh, I went off to college then in Oklahoma and we thought it was all over. And then when I came back, we she was still there, and I was doing my graduate work at Murray State. It came in 1968, and we began to do some casual dating. Uh, that meant knocking doors over in another town to set up a bus ministry for the churches there and stuff. Okay. 
And and that was good. That was time well spent. And I got to know her. I got to ask her some questions. And uh, she wanted to be a nurse. She was finishing her BSN in, at Murray State, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. So she's an RN. And she also knew how to play the piano. I didn't ever get to learn that. And I wanted somebody who could teach me how not to play because I didn't think I was smart enough to learn to play the piano. But I wanted somebody who could teach me some songs. Right. Because I love singing. We, of course, I grew up a cappella at church. And uh, so I wasn't going to play it at church and right. shock everybody <laughs> into early death. <laughs> <laughs> they all killed over. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I told somebody if we ever move an organ or a piano into that building, I need to call the funeral home about two weeks ahead and tell them to order lots and lots of embalming fluid. And so that's just so so the audience knows that's like I wouldn't call it a doctrine, but a tradition of the the Church of Christ that yeah. um, that there is no musical instrument. So, right, uh, God gave you an instrument, and it's, it's your, your voice. voice, and so right. and and. And I still practice that. Right. I, I, I don't. I don't split churches over it. I don't try to go out and condemn everybody. But uh, I really do like the idea of singing with the instrument God gave you. And, and but I've I've even progressed beyond that. I'm trying to learn what the meaning of the songs really right, is. Exactly. The yes. meaning is something yeah. special. That's good. Here yeah. I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by the. What are you singing? Right. Dig it out. <laughs> get the get the definitions, and then learn about the guys or girls who wrote the song. Right. What did they have in mind? That's and, good. Uh, oh, I love that. I even got to go over to Scotland and England for a little over a week and travel to all the places where John Newton and wow. and uh, Isaac Watts and all those. Oh, me, that is life changing. That is, I it bet is that is. That is great. Is. So I'm and doing, so I'm doing a sabbatical. Yeah, I'm doing a sabbatical in 2000, uh, in 25. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to do a summer sabbatical and my hope is to go to Israel at least, you know, yeah. to, to get over there and, and, you know, just, walk the roads and you know see this see all that and i want to do some stuff well, in greece and um yes. so that's what we're planning on doing but yeah, well it's great. life-changing too we did that in 1993 uh the church sent us they sent marcia and me and our two children our mm. son was graduating from high school and our daughter was graduating from college so that was the last trip we ever went on as a foursome Wow. And it was to Israel, and the church paid for it. That's great. And, um, oh, my, it was so wonderful. I, I actually imagine. went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, and, that's uh, great. I know the trees that are there are not the ones that were there when Jesus was there, but they're the same kinds of trees. They were olive trees, gnarled roots, and and uh, I walked on the road to Emmaus. Mm. And those are the, that is the road. There's only been one road to Emmaus. They right. They bombed it or, built a cathedral over it yet wow. but uh but it, it's really life-changing we were out on the sea of galilee and uh in a boat and they turned the engine off and everything it was so quiet and you know peace be still mm, and uh, it really is worth whatever it costs to go okay. uh, it's dangerous so it's so dangerous now right but and it wasn't uh, cakewalk back in 93 I heard gunfire and stuff on the, on the wow. Mount of Olives 
Well, that, that's we're we're excited about trying to do that because that'll just kind of it'll be like the icing on the cake there. So right. So you and Marsha met. Those, you, go I was gonna say you and Marsha met, and um, mm-hmm. so when did you guys get married? We got married in September, September fourteenth, nineteen sixty nine. Okay. We met in sixty six when I first went to New Providence to preach. We started dating in uh, in nineteen sixty eight. When I uh, came back to Murray State to, I mean, came to Murray State to do my graduate work in speech, and uh, we were dating heavily then, and we got engaged on the Memorial Day. I remember it was Memorial Day because I took her back out to the church building where I met her, and went to the classroom where I first saw her, and uh, I gave her a ring and asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and so we cried and prayed. And we came back to town, and they were shooting fireworks oh, all over great. town because of Memorial Day. I said, this is a little more celebration than I was expecting. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but we're engaged, and then we get married in September. And then uh, our first baby was born two years and two weeks later. And then our second baby was born three years after that. Okay. So we have uh, we have Karen, and we have Michael. Michael right, exactly. And yeah, and very, very proud of them and thankful that uh, as they grew up, of course, hearing me preach, and they and they 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 went to Seventh and Poplar, and we never missed. Right. And they had to go every night during the meeting and potlucks, all the things that they wouldn't do now for a million dollars. <laughs> I completely burned them out. <laughs> I know my two older kids, you know, because we got we gave our life to the Lord in 2003. And then within a couple of years, um, you know, I was feeling a calling into ministry and, you know, just started mm-hmm. doing some training, teaching. And my kids, they were three and three and uh, one, one and a half, basically, when we mm-hmm. gave our life to the Lord. And they've known nothing but, you know, church and meetings yep. and you know, yeah. run around the sanctuary while I'm doing an elders meeting, or, you know, yeah. the, right. everything. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. And they do tend to get burned out sometimes. And I, that didn't scare me when, right. uh, uh, when they went to college, they cut back on a lot of the stuff that they've been used to. But, uh, I told them that from the beginning that you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to do it how I do it. Right. I just want you to do what you sincerely feel the Lord wants you to do, no matter what. If you make a lot of money, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Just be faithful to the Lord. That's all I ask. Mm. And and I'm really proud of both of them, although they are totally different from what I was at that age. Right. And much more open and willing to see all sides of everything. And, uh, and that, again, I, I'm, I didn't want to clone them and, and, uh, put them through the stuff I went through, Right. but it, it's worked out and I've got two grandsons. Oh my, that's worth <laughs> waiting for. <laughs> and they both live here in town. Now they both are students at Murray state. Right. The great thing about and grandkids, get, you get to fix what you screwed up with the kids. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I know my daughter told me one time they would come to our house every Saturday and just basically leave the boys with us, and they could go to Paducah, go do whatever they wanted to. And she, Karen was sitting on the couch, <laughs> and I look back on it, and it's kind of funny. But she was sitting on the couch, and we I took care of her. Marsha would be cooking and stuff, and 
So if one of them needed the diaper change or whatever needed, I did it. Right. Well, James, who was the younger, younger of the two, he came through and he said, well, Papa John, I poopied in my diaper. <laughs> And I said, well, we need to get that straightened out. Come on back here. And I got him cleaned up and came back through there. And he went back out into the little room where the toys were. And he was playing, and he and his brother. And about, I'd say, two minutes later, he came back through. And he said, oh, John, I poopied in my diaper again. And I said, well, let's go get it cleaned up again. So we did. And uh, he came back through to go out to play. And my daughter sitting there, she said, I want to know something. Were you this patient with me at that age? And I said, on that subject, yes. I never wanted that to be a guilt trip. Right. But generally speaking, no. Right. Exactly. <laughs> if the boy can make sentences, right. he ought to be able to tell me he needs to go to the bathroom. Right, but, yeah. Anyway, but uh, we're still buddies. He's 19 years old. and. <laughs> Uh, he comes to our house real often. It's just about six blocks from where he That's lives in an awesome. apartment in Murray. Yeah, and the other one is graduating this year from Murray State, and he's 21. That is great. And uh, it yeah. is wonderful, and I love them so much. And, and again, I, I think I learned more by having children and, right. and now grandchildren about the love of God. Mm, I, that's I, I'm not a great dad, but I, I do try and I, I do love my children. And the very idea of anybody trying to accuse me of trying to catch them in a technicality so I can throw them in a fire, mm. uh, I would never do that. Well, I, I grew up thinking God could do that to me. Right. So I, I've got to, even though I'm not doing right, I know what's right and i got to get back where I can do it right because I've got to earn my way in. Uh, wow. And then finally I read after I got through college, got to college and through college, I read the passages on grace. Yes. And <clears throat> I thought, well, they were there all the time. I just didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times we look at scripture like the Pharisees did. Like it's just, yeah. it's so stout and so written in stone that, if you were to to walk away from it or even to detour from it just a moment, it's like, okay, all of a sudden yep. I feel all of this condemnation and yet there is no condemnation in Christ. And that's where, no. where we have to get to that, that, that understanding that not, we are required and called to live a, a holy and a righteous and a sanctified life, but it's not to be yeah. perfect. And I always tell my congregation, like, you know, as you give your life to the Lord and you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, you will never be sinless, but you will sin less. And if you That's can, right. if you can get to that place where just each day you're waking up saying, "Man, I'm I'm better today in God's eyes than I was yesterday," and understand yeah. that you have grace to cover those moments when you're not, yeah. then you can live a, a really really good Christian life. Um, right. If you view it that way, instead of being well, like you know, like I I I know what you're saying. You know, you sometimes early on in your your walk with God you're just thinking okay and it's and it also depends on how you are raised too from your father it oh, seems yeah. like you oh, know yeah. like if you're if your dad was heavy-handed every time you did something wrong or you know yelled and screamed you think okay every time I screw up God's going to yell and scream or backhand me yeah. or something like that or or he yeah. could be just not even care and you look at God yeah. that way as well yeah well, I think we, we do get an idea of the fatherhood God by looking at the Father who raised him. Right. And and fortunately for me, I didn't get any of that. I was never yelled at. I was never 
abused at home at all. And I have two older brothers. And, uh, right. I'll take all that back. I was abused. You, you were abused. Just <laughs> uh, <my dad. laughs> so you're the yeah. oldest in your family. Yeah. So yes, I am. <laughs> I, 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 side with, I side with Kelly. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. And I, I was never abused either. I, but as a pastor, I've seen, you know, the way, you know, and I was very, I was spanked very little as well. I had great parents and great step parents, and and I can't yes. I can't complain about my raising one bit. But just as a pastor, I see the way that people look at God, uh, yeah. sometimes based on the way that they were raised, for sure. Yeah. Well, I got the chance to teach my 15 year old grandson uh, how to drive. Mm. He he's he he wanted to know if I would because I am patient with him. I'm not going to yell at him, and I'm not going to insulting and and all that so we got started he uh, just about to turn 15 and we got started and we did all the things and this is the brake and this is the accelerator the speed limit is not a suggestion it is the law and all that and we got oh way into it and uh he was driving uh, we went over to land between the lakes which is a great place to learn to drive there's roads everywhere I put 325 miles on my car one one week by wow. his driving all over that place <laughs> and loved every minute. But I, he was driving, and I'm just sitting there uh, in the other seat in the front, and uh, I didn't talk a lot. I just I wanted him, if he asked a question, I'd try to answer, and I'd make a suggestion or whatever. But I looked over at him while he was driving, and, and I – I, I don't like to go around crying in public because it really scares people, and I don't like to do it. <laughs> but I, I was just dripping tears down my face, and I, I would just look at him, and I'm thinking, how could anybody love anybody as much as I love that boy? Right. And then I got to thinking, God loves his children more than I do, mm. more than I know how to love. Wow, and I never enjoyed that peace when I was growing up. I was scared of him, and I knew I could I could quote you the Ten Commandments, and and guilty at least in my heart of all of them. Right. I, I don't guess I really wanted to kill anybody, but it, it was, <laughs> I don't know. I might have. Well, time, even but. Jesus says hatred in your heart is like murder. So yeah. maybe you did. Yeah. <laughs> and he also said lust in your heart is like adultery. adultery right. like, oh, no. Yeah. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's a good forgiver. Amen. And, and uh, I decided finally to let him love me, mm. even though I cannot deserve it. I can at least say thank you. And, and really appreciate what the Lord has done for me. Wow. And uh, and I'm still growing in that. I, you have to unlearn a lot of junk. Right. And then replace it with something that is balanced and, and is biblical, and at the same time, it is practical. Right. And I don't think there's a difference between biblical and practical. I, no. I think we practice it in, in life, and we don't just quote it on Sunday. Mm, that's good. And, so you you started at Seventh and Poplar Church in seventy uh, three. Is that correct? Uh huh. Okay. That's so right. so nineteen seventy three. You started there. How how big was the church at that time? We were running about, I would say, four hundred. Okay. Uh, that in membership probably four fifty, and we're running on a good Sunday four hundred. 
Wow. On, on Mother's Day, we always had a lot more than we did on Father's Day. I right. thought that was quite a mystery. It's, it's still like that, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The moms want to come to church and the dads want to go fishing. You know, it's like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, or anything but church. Anything but church. Yeah, exactly. Right. But we, we grew uh, numerically, and I trust it was some spiritual growth in it, too. Right. And uh, we outgrew the building. We started having two services in, in uh, I believe it was 76 or 77. Right. And then uh, we had, we just, uh, we're, we were full. We couldn't get to, cl- all the classrooms were built for 12 and f- 14, and we have 22 and 26. And right. It just wasn't a good, we, we just finally bought uh, 20 acres of land and started all over with a new church building and we moved in it in 1989 okay and uh yeah we had a thousand and fifty members at our peak it's not that way now right uh and but anyway i think that was the highest number we ever had on the membership that's crazy uh, Especially in like well, people got to realize this is a number one. It's in the Bible Belt, so there's there's a church just yeah. about on every corner. Right. Uh, you know, but <clears throat> you know, I always call it the brick and mortar churches with the four columns and the steeple in the front. That's that was the way yeah. that I understood church to be. Was that was and sure. then when I gave my life to the Lord, it was in a church plant, which I'd never heard of a church plant inside a hotel conference room. So like that freaked right. me out. I thought I was joining a cult, but. Um, you know, in a town that at the time, maybe if school was in session, you know, 15,000 people, um, 20,000 people max, like it wasn't, it's not a big town. And so you've got a thousand people going to your church at the peak, um, is is just crazy. So you started in 73 as the lead pastor and Mm -hmm. what, like, what were your, um, when you're looking back on it, you know, your, your successes, you had success in growing people. And I know you and I were talking yesterday that that doesn't always relate, correlate, I should say, to spiritual success, not numerical no. success and, and no. spiritual success aren't always the same. But when you look back on that and you're, you're, you're a young pastor, <clears throat> you've got a young family, you know, you're, and and really that was that was the model you know was to grow the church and put as many people in the seats you know kind of deal did you feel right. did you feel pressure um trying to do that trying to fill the seats or did you feel more of a calling or or was it a little bit of both of of making did, did let me ask you this did you get caught up in the physical growth and um Kind of did that detour your message? That detour your the way that you spoke or the way that you um, preached or anything like that? Did that, or, or did the people that were involved, your elders, your deacons, um, did they uh, hinder you from doing some of that? I'd like to say there was nothing but pure motives all the way. Right, and and I have to admit that there were some times that I would look at the. I, I like to see people set goals. I really do. Right. And I think that's a great way to operate in business and a lot of other things. But the difference to me between having a thousand or a thousand and one in an assembly is is not brag rights or or anything that is uh, less than honorable. What it see what it ought to be to me, and I think it was most of the time, was the difference that could be my son, my daughter, my wife, my grandchild, 
it's it's the immortal soul of somebody, and that mm. soul is going to live forever somewhere. Mm. And so I don't care, really, if somebody says I have a bigger church than you do. I really don't care. Right. I, I, I want there to be one more that I'm interested in, and and not, I wish we didn't even count. Right. I wish we'd just skip that. Uh, I remember, you know, Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 1, I baptized uh, the household of Stephanus, and he said, oh, there might have been others. <laughs> might have been, I don't yeah, know. exactly. I don't <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I do, too. Yeah. And, and it gives you the emphasis on the precious nature of the soul, mm. and everybody is equally precious. I had to learn that. See, I grew up in a racially prejudiced community. Right. And I had to learn that God loves the red, the brown, the yellow, the black, and the white equally. Mm. And uh, some people still haven't learned that. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's good. And, I, yeah, you know, sometimes still going on to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Sometimes as a young pastor, and it's it probably wasn't as bad as it is today. But you know, now you have. Um, I'm glad I'm at where I'm at now with social media, uh, at, in my age and in my maturity, spiritual maturity, as well as just wisdom that I have under under my belt. Because what the world is telling younger pastors is that if you don't have a church that is blowing out of the seams, you know, and they, they're, they're, they're trying to draw them in with everything from, you know, false theologies, false teachings, um, you know, a, a, a production, a show, you know, um, you know, it's gotta be everything that, and, and it's, I think, I don't know if it's tougher. I'm just saying, I think there's a different mindset because, um, you have so many venues to look at in, online and, you know, on the app and on social media compared to, you know, in 73, you had the radio, basically, that was your the media yeah. to, medium to get, you know, the word out that it was a church. And then obviously, um, your church members, uh, inviting people and different things like that. So right. I just, I just wanted yeah. to know in your heart of hearts, like, you know, when you're looking at that, um, you know, and I, I know your heart. I know that you, you're, you're, you're looking for, and I, I kind of use this as well in my own church, like the seat that's empty in front of me or next to you is a potential soul. It's not just, a, right. it's not just a, a place to add another tick mark for a number in the, in the congregation. No. It's a, it's a potential soul that we've won from the enemy and, and put into the kingdom of God. And so, I love right. I love to hear you say that because that's you know when that focus is in a pastor's heart, I mean God's going to send the people, God's you know oh, yeah. God's going to send those to you, and so I watch. We need to whet the appetites of the people. Try to get them to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Mm, that's good, and then provide them something once they come. And 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 I'm a big believer in. I still like church attendance. I like people to be there. Yeah, me too. But. I want it to be for, to be for the right reasons, and and I, I love what I believe it was Saint Augustine who said, or he—that's the earliest one I've ever read who said right. it—that preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Right, right, and and it is necessary to use words at yes. times, but if people don't see in your life what you're teaching, then you join the ranks of all the other hypocrites in religion. Right. And boy, we've got enough of that. And, and that's and, that's kind of where uh, I lost it, you know, early on in in as a teenager. Um, 
I I started seeing the hypocrisy. You know, yeah. uh, when you when when you were preaching, or when I was growing up in Murray, it was a dry county. You couldn't right. you couldn't buy alcohol. No restaurant sold it. I mean, we had to go right. we had to go south, which was about fifteen miles uh, from Murray <laughs> across the border. You know, to get it. Oh, you know? yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden, as a teenager, I had a fake ID uh, when I was 16, yes. 16 years old, and I started yeah. seeing the people, you know, not only just from Murray in general, who would, you know, preach against not drinking, and the next thing you know, you'd see them down south, and that yeah. we called it down south, going going across the border there, and, um, you yeah. know, that, that kind of was one of those disheartening things, you know, early on in my, is just seeing the hypocrisy that came from right. from other people, and again, that that's a bad excuse for me to walk away from God because not only do you find hypocrisy in the church, you find it in your family, you find it at work, you find it at uh, in the community. I mean, hypocrisy is all around you, and that was just a good excuse for me to do what I wanted to do instead of what God wanted me to do. Right, and we'll find excuses everywhere. There's hypocrisy everywhere. Right. Uh, I taught at Murray State for a few years after I retired, and. Uh, there's hypocrisy even in universities. Can you mm. imagine? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, even even in state, in local government, state government, right. and even in the federal government. You're exactly right. But I'm not moving to Haiti. Uh, I'm not moving to get away from hypocrisy because once I get there, there'll be problems. Right. Exactly. If there weren't yeah. already. Yeah. People shift churches just as fast as they can sometimes because they find that there's some inconsistency in somebody and uh and they just leave and so yeah. they jump from church to church to church yes and you don't usually better yourself by jumping around why don't you stay and help make it better right yeah the problem and, with what the problem with that is wherever you go there you are you know, yeah. usually, usually the problem, <laughs> right. usually the problem is not the people around you. You know, you got to look in no. the proverbial heart, your proverbial heart, just to see, uh, it's to see yourself. Cause it's usually you that that's the problem. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it I, has been in my case. Yes. I don't, I, I didn't leave. I stayed with the church here 39 years full time on staff. So there, there was and one point. All- yeah. That, so I, I do want to get into that, but there was one point I remember, and and probably the only time that I've ever like really lost it at church or cried was, um, and this was in the the late seventies, I think. Yeah. There was a um, there was a moment where you were going to leave the church, if I recall. Yes. Okay, I I remember walking out of church, and I was banging on my, and I was in the car, and I was just banging on the back seat, crying, thinking you were leaving. Um, and I, I, and and to this day, I don't know, I don't even know why or how or anything I haven't heard. Is, is that a a story that you can tell? Yeah, it's, it's a very brief story. Okay, good. The, I had a, (laughs) yeah, imagine the preacher being brief. No, I don't mean Uh, good as in brief, but good. good, It wasn't a lot of detail. (laughs) No, there weren't. I found I, I needed to have a doctorate and I didn't have it. Right. I found a, a program at Vanderbilt University where you could go on weekends and get a degree, a uh, doctor's degree in counseling. Okay. And I needed that because I didn't have it. I had the master's degree in communication speech, but I didn't have the counseling degree and I needed it. Right. So I found that and I looked into a church in Nashville where I could preach, but that would be all they would expect of me. It, it would not be 
uh, I don't know why the Murray City, they're picking up leaves everywhere <laughs> you hear the noise. It's not like they're coming after me. Oh, how funny. But anyway, I found a church in Nashville that was looking for a preacher, and that's all. Okay. They, don't, they didn't want me to do anything during the week, show up on Sunday and preach two times and teach a Bible class. That's all they wanted. And uh, I was excited to see that, and, and I went up and talked to them, met with them, and they decided they would take me. And then the third thing was uh, I was going to be able to teach full-time at David Lipscomb University in the speech department, go to school part-time at Vanderbilt, and preach part-time at one of the churches there. So it was all I wanted to do. Right. And uh, that way I'd have the degree. I wasn't mad at anybody in Murray. I hadn't been mistreated at all uh, in a big way. We had some, dis- you know, some disagreements and stuff through the years, but it was a good work and the people were so kind. And it was just a, it was, I know that's a two way street because I'm trying to, to do that with them and keep them, right. uh, you know, on the straight and narrow without beating them to death. And, but it didn't work out. And we prayed about it. We studied about it. We, and so I told the elders at, at Seventh Popper that that's what we plan to do. And they said, I never will forget the meeting. And one of the older men said, would you reconsider? And I said, well, I thank you for saying that because I hoped you would say that, not good riddance. Right. But you were, you were, you want me to reconsider. And I said, at this point, I don't think it would be a wise move to reconsider. And so that went on for two or three, four weeks, I think. And I found out that the church in Nashville was split wide open. They didn't tell me anything. And they cut out, President Nixon at that time cut out all of the money for higher education grants and loans. I don't know why he did that, but he did. And I was going to have to have some help because the church wasn't going to pay me much and uh, Lipscomb wasn't going to pay much of anything. Right. And so I just I just didn't know how we were going to do it. So everything fell apart. And I, I went, I finally got away from the commitments that I had made in Nashville. I said, I can't do it. And it's not best. And I don't want to put my family through that and so forth. So I met back with the elders at Glendale at Seventh Poplar. And I said, do you remember what you said when I told you that I was looking at moving? And one of the fellows spoke up and said, yes, and I'm the one who said it. Would you reconsider? And I said, well, I've reconsidered. Oh, oh, So they said, well, good. Let's (laughs) just call off the dogs and and, and let's get back to work and don't don't do that again. I I, said, well, I won't. I don't plan to ever leave. That is all. I I had never heard that, and I didn't, I mean, to this day, you know, 40 years later, I still didn't know, you know, and that that to me is one of the memories that I have. Um, you know, seventh and popular that and hanging Tony Cloy's off the balcony one time, me and Shane. (laughs) (laughs) He he never has gotten over. (laughs) He still doesn't talk to me. I don't know why. (laughs) I think he's got a grudge there. Y'all need to settle that now. Yeah, me and Shane Uh Ellis hung him off the, or tried to, or about to, or one time. (laughs) That balcony got us in trouble quite a bit. So, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I remember that balcony. <laughs> <laughs> 
so so you you just you stayed there and uh, and you you continued to grow and so as a pastor I I like you know can you you know just in the I would imagine you started your spiritual disciplines early on. Um, and they've stuck with you today because even now you've got an office, you go to it. Um, I know you're studying, I know you're doing research, I know you're still preaching. Um, I I calculated, um, even if you took, you know, let's say eight days off a year, which I doubt you did, um, that's twice a quarter, uh, which I can't see you doing that. Even with what you're doing, you've got 50 years of preaching and that's just starting at 73. That's not even talking about, you know, the preaching that you did prior to that. You've got, you've got over 2000 sermons that you've preached. Not in, that's just Sundays. That's not including because you preach Sunday night. So let's double that. You know, that's 4,000. Um, yeah. you preached on Wednesday night, so let's add another two. I mean, that's 6,000 sermons that you've done in your lifetime. And that's just being generous. I would yeah. say, I would say that's more, that's not including the weddings, the funerals, the, right. uh, you know, all of those things. And so yeah. what, you know, as a young pastor compared to where you are today, like where have you, like, what's your daily ritual? Um, let's say it's Monday yeah. morning. Sunday has just gone away and, um, you're preparing for the next Sunday. Like what, what's your schedule? What, what does that look like? What I would do when I was on staff at Glendale, I would, uh, on, on Monday, I would, uh, I love Mondays and Thursdays, by the way, those have always been my two best days okay. because Sunday's over and I can't help it. It's right. done. <laughs> and I, I, That's good. <laughs> and I can't when, help and Wednesday it. night is over right. on Thursday. And I can't help that either. And so we go on to try again next week. But what I tried to do, and I had a lot of interruptions. And the longer I stayed, the more interruptions I had. Mm. So if I ever go into the office, in those days especially, if I went in with my day scheduled, I'm in trouble. Right. And if it's more than half scheduled, I'm in trouble. Right. Because when people want to talk and need to talk with you, you can't appear busy. You can't appear mm. rushed, and I don't have time for you, but I'll try to make time and all that. You can't do that. Right. You have to be as much as possible flexible and willing to be inconvenienced. And because uh, everything now centers, and it's still. The, I just had the other day. I had my sixty seventh funeral this year. Holy and, cow! Uh, yeah, and it doesn't get fewer it gets more well yeah exactly well i've been here so long that uh, i know the people in and out of the churches where i preached but uh the community and this is such a good community i love murray kentucky yeah i really do i don't have to fake it i really do love it but a lot of the people that i'm doing funerals for don't go to church where i did right uh there some to go and some don't go anywhere but i've been with them through whatever but I would try to start on Monday to look at what was good yesterday, what was helpful, and then what was not helpful. You don't need to make the same mistakes over and over again. That's mm. foolish. And so I try not to do some things that obviously didn't work. And then, and it's not just Sunday because, see, I had all those years, I had a radio program every day. 
Oh my god! For goodness. forty-two years, I was on the radio. No and kidding. So, oh, one of the I, girls asked me in speech class how many sermons and speeches I had made in my lifetime. I said, I don't know. I'll I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll put the pencil to it tonight. Right. And it turned out to be over twenty-six thousand preparations and presentations. Oh my goodness! Uh, and John. a radio program, yeah, and that, and is... that was it was just on and on, right? But uh, again, and I did repeat some of them. Good night. If it's not worth repeating, it wasn't worth. What was it? That's that's the good thing about being an itinerant pastor. Now you can just go uh, yeah. go from one church to the next and just preach the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, blow the dust off of it. Yeah, or, you know, exactly. or, you know, but uh, my notes are horrible. That that's something I wish everybody would do better on. <laughs> I, I I found a sermon outline and a kind of a note thing not long ago and I had on an illustration dog. I don't have a clue. <laughs> who's, who's dog? What color dog? <laughs> so it, 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 you need better notes than that. Right. Oh, but, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But I would want to have time early in the morning for ti- a time of prayer and Bible reading just for me. Okay. Not Good. preparation of a sermon but daily Bible reading. Well, one way I did that was I got up early. I don't sleep a lot. I still don't. But I would get up early, and then I would uh, go to the office and study, and then I'd go do the radio program live, 625 every morning, and I would present something that I had prepared, and then I would go back to the office and stay until Oh, eight, eight fifteen. When others were coming to work, the secretary and the other ministers and the custodian, all of them were coming to work. I would go home and take a shower about eight thirty, and then I would come back at nine thirty, and then I'm ready to meet the day. Right. But if if I don't have that devotional time early in the morning, and and it's not terribly formal, but uh, and my prayer list is so long that I don't ever want to leave that out. Mm. But uh, good grief, you can preach all day on prayer, but prayer is a key to the whole thing. I finally Uh, found that. That's good. It is communication with the Father who wants you to be successful to His glory, not yours. Uh, Oh, my. It's such a motivation, and especially now because I've been retired 10 years and I'm, I can do what I do and not have to be paid for it. Right. And, and I'm so glad to get to do that because I was, you know, putting kids through college and all those things that cost a fortune. And uh, I didn't I didn't begrudge it. But our retirement program, when I came to <laughs> Seven the Pop, you'd appreciate this. There was an old gentleman who was an elder. His name was Jim Walston. I think he probably was already gone before you grew up enough to know. But yeah, I don't when they were him. telling me, here's your, you remember Jim Thurman. Yeah, I so do remember were, Jim Thurman, yes. Exactly. Yeah, everybody remembers him. Well, they were telling me, here's here's the plan. We want you to, uh, here's your, your salary is $200 a week. And you, you pay your own utility bill because if somebody drives by and sees you with the lights on all night, it's not the church's money that you're wasting and all that. <laughs> so you pay your own utility bill, and the, the, your salary is $200 a week. You pay your own utility bill, 
and you provide your own insurance. And he said, your retirement program is out of this world, literally. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, they're hoping you kill over in the pulpit and they don't, you don't have to worry. You, do, about it. you just you, go to heaven. Yeah. yeah, that's your retirement program. That's and I'll have to say over the years, over the 39 years that I was here, they changed that a lot. Right. They I, were very generous with me. And uh, I was never really mistreated. Right. And and I didn't talk about money. I didn't talk to them about a raise and stuff. I just didn't do that. Right. And it took care of itself. The Lord worked in them and, and through the budgets. Of course, the increase of, of the contributions were obvious with that many people coming. Right. And so, but I didn't keep up with, I don't know who gave a what. I never have known anybody's gifts. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I, that's one of the things that I told my elders I didn't want. I want to know financially where we stand, but I don't really care what anybody else gave. Because I'm telling you what, I would judge the fire out of them. You know, like I I don't need to know that would, that would hinder my walk just knowing that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you're, we're not stupid. You can look at somebody's car and their house and you know what they're spending. Like you can really figure out real quick what they're, you know, and let's yeah. just pray that that's between God and them. I, I agree a hundred percent. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I chose never to deal with money. Mm-hmm. So if there was anything, I never was on the uh, checking account thing. I, I just, too many preachers have been ruined right. by money issues and by, morality choices. Those are the things that ruin most ministers in every group. And so that's, uh, and that's, that's a really good point because I think a a lot of times, you know, especially you do a lot more counseling than I have. I mean, you you just in general or that kind of personality, I don't do a lot because our, mm -hmm. you know, I only come, our church is only open really, you know, maybe an hour when I'm here, um, a day, you know, every now and then, and then, you know, obviously uh-huh. on service days, but, wow. um, uh, w- I don't do a ton of counseling, but, you know, knowing what somebody gives or ties or all of that kind of stuff can really, um, detour you mm-hmm. while you're counseling, um, or talking with somebody like it's almost the whole, you know, you're, you're going to take the guy in the fine linen and the gold and set him on the front seat. Um, you know, compared to some, you know, and and when you don't know, you're treating everybody with the same, um, same understanding. And that's, that's a, that's really good advice. So when did, when was, when was it when you, you said, you know, when you finally figured out that prayer was the catalyst to all of this, when, when do you think that hit, hit you? I think it developed over a period of time. I never did quit praying. Right. But I was, it was more of a checklist. You know, I haven't prayed yet, so I better hear up and pray because I don't want to go a day without it. Right. And and that kind of thing, That that's not the way to pray. That's not the way my children talked to me when we were living in the same house. I wanted them to know they had access to me mm. anytime, day or night, middle of the night if necessary. Right. And what I, I tried to do through the years was to pray, to preach occasionally on prayer because it's very much a biblical subject. Yes. But I felt guilty in a way because I didn't feel that my prayer life was all it could be and should be. I didn't know what to do. Mm. I was, I didn't want to go ex, to be excessive because, uh, you know, I didn't want anybody to think I was trying to be Pentecostal when I'm not. And at the same time, 
the Pentecostals are not wrong about everything, and it right. could be that I could, if I listened, I could probably learn something. And uh, developing a friendship with Eric Kelleher was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, mm-hmm. He was very much a Pentecostal. He's now a full-time pastor in the Pentecostal church. And we get along fine. Uh, we don't fight. He doesn't tell me I need a band, and I don't tell him that he needs to leave the healing to the first century. Right. Uh, we just don't fight. Right. Uh, I know what he believes. He knows what I believe. And so there's never been a need for compromise. Uh, as far as doctrinal things, I, I believe what I believe. He believes what he believes. Right. I love him dearly. But th- the thing with prayer with me, when uh, I, I don't know whether you remember Terry Robertson. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah. All right. Terry graduated from Calvary County High School, played football, and had passed physical for the Marines. And all of a sudden, he got sick, right. bad sick. And he was in the hospital here, and I took him. I asked him if he wanted something to eat that they weren't feeding him. And he said, yes, I want a pizza for Polly Eyes. <laughs> so I said, well, I can't blame you for that. So I checked with the nurse, and she said it was okay. He was on a regular diet. So I brought him a pizza from Polly Eyes. And he got worse that night. And then they rushed him to Memphis, and they thought he was going to die. Oh. And they didn't know what was wrong. They did tests. They couldn't find out. Finally, they figured it out, but I began to pray more for him personally and to be more sensitive and and convicted of my own sins, and I I preached on the hindrances to prayer where you're living a life of sin, and God doesn't hear your prayers. If he gets well from answer to prayer, it's going to have to be somebody else's prayer. And so I really went through a terrible time of interrogation. Mm. And and just laid it out, and I said, Lord, you know my inconsistencies and hypocrisies, and I I don't ever want to leave you, but I have not been committed to you the way I know I should, and I can. It's not mm. unrealistic. So I just really did some soul searching and some weeping and serious talk with God about it, and He empowered me to communicate better and better with him. And it's getting better as the time goes on. Wow. Uh, it, it's, it's better now than it's ever been because that... I'm not trying to fight somebody. I'm not trying to overcome or catch somebody so I can prove them wrong about something. I'm trying to accentuate everything we have in common. And uh, just to, to, to be honest, you can't lie to God and think you got away with it. <laughs> Good grief. I, it's I funny. Jonah and I think, where are you going to hide, Jonah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. God said, I'll give you a place to hide. I literally was just telling my church this past Sunday, you know, I, I said our biggest issue with sin is that we don't view it like God does. God views sin as evil. Like all sin right. is evil, and you and I view it as as stages like we can a little white lies not as bad as murdering somebody um you know in in in, but yet it's all evil and uh it's the same you know lying and trying to hide from god like that's just it's just not it's just not realistic and uh, too many too many people are trying to do that so right well i know when when because we take the lord's supper every sunday Mm -hmm. and that can be terribly common if you don't watch it right and what I try to do, and I have to consciously try to do this, 
But to look at the scene of the cross mm. and to see the agony of Jesus, and then I say that's how much God hates sin, mm. all sin, that's mine great. too. Yes. And then I keep looking, and I see that's how much God loves sinners, mm. and I'm one of them. Amen. And so I keep the agony of the cross before me during that time because that, that bread is is basically nothing physically. Right. But it, it calls to mind something. Jesus didn't say, by the way, that this is a representative of my body. He right. said, this is my body. Right. And, of course, I don't believe in transubstantiation. I don't think it literally becomes body. But right. I, as far as I'm concerned, it might as well be. Right. And then the cup, the fruit of the vine, is not literal blood. It's still grape juice. But I'm, I'm taking it as though this is Jesus' blood, and that's what cleanses me. My good mm. works won't cleanse me. And my money giving and my hours of, of labor will not cleanse me. Amen. It's the blood of Christ. So and, uh, one take, of the, take what, the song. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. Take the song. What? Take the song Rock of Ages. Right. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite? No, these were sin could not atone. Thou must say that thou alone in oh, my hand man. no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Mm. Now that's a super song in that my is. book. That is. That is a good song. You know, it's funny. Every time I so <clears throat> I have um I have two things in my life that kind of um bring up uh not bad memories, but but just memories in general. One is Christmas. Like I, I really don't yeah. like the Christmas season because you know, gr- growing up with divorced families, um, we yeah. would we would literally go um, at you know Sunday or uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, we would go to my my nanny's, and then we would go home mm-hmm. that morning. We would wake up and open up with my mom, and then uh, right. that afternoon I'd have to go to my dad's, and then we would go to grandmother Ann's, and you know, like we would literally. Yep. That was my process of Christmas. So yep. for every Christmas, I get just you know, I just get this daunting feeling, and then now as a pastor, I see. I see the uh, commercialization of it, everybody forgetting about the reason for the season and just stress and all of that kind of stuff. And then the other thing that a lot of times are hymns are, you know, like, and, and, you know, growing up uh, in the church of Christ, I remember uh, Jerry Bowles with his pitch pipe and, you know, doing, doing, (laughs) doing the symbol or uh, how do you like, he would raise his hands and kind of do the, uh, the metronome, but in the air, you know, you know, yeah. one, two, three. Yeah. Beating, beating time. Beating yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. And he would use his hand doing it. And I remember that. And, um, to this day when my, my worship team sings a, a hymn and it's not a bad memory. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's like, I, I remember the songs. I remember the moments when we were in church. I remember all of those. And they, it's kind of like what you said about rock of ages that, those verse, mm-hmm. I'm a lyrics guy. I like the lyrics, and you know those yeah. those some those when I hear the hymns, they drum up some of those memories of of growing up in in the church, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's not that they're bad or good. It's just those two things always for some reason uh, remind mm-hmm. me of my childhood uh, more than anything wow. else. And um, wow. when you said that about Rock of Ages, man, I can just see Jerry. Right now, just yeah. pitch pipe, getting ready to take off, and then, you know, here we go. So yeah. uh, I remember yeah. those. And then yeah. uh, there's one song, Jesus is Lord. Um, 
yeah. Uh, yeah. that he always sang that I, I remember very much so. So, yeah. yeah. Are, so you ask your question, is he really, my Lord? Right. Is he, is he really? Right. Well, if he is, it's going to make a difference. Yes. And, you know, that someone said he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Right. And and I think that's very important mm. because he's got to have my Mondays just like he got my Sundays. Hey, oh, that's good. That's good. You know, you were talking about the Lord's Supper, and, and you know, one of the things that um, we do a little bit different here is we only do the Lord's Supper every three to six weeks. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. we kind of look at it, and, and, and I look at it as, um, from growing up, doing it every Sunday, uh, that I didn't mm-hmm. want it to become rote. I didn't want my church to just think every Sunday we're getting ready to do this and not prepare for it. And so er, every time that we do it, I really, I mean, I drum it up and I make sure that people understand that they need to really take a moment to search their heart and confess their sins and repent of those sins Mm -hmm. and, um, and get right with God before they take it. And, uh, you know, good, bad, or ugly. I just, when you brought up the Lord's Supper, that's what it reminded me of. Cause you know, I, right. I, I remember, you know, those days just doing the Lord's Supper and I, you know, as a, as a teenager, I didn't really, you know, you, you, there's a lot you don't understand, obviously. And as I, sure. as I look back on it and I look at what you did and, um, you know, I, the, the one thing that always kept me close to God was knowing that you as, as a pastor and as a friend had always, um, had, had, were finishing well, you were doing well, you know, and obviously I didn't know every nook and cranny of your life, but I, I know the character of you and I know the character of your wife and your kids. And that, that always drew me back to, um, my love for God back in those days. Um, even though I didn't believe that I even believed in a God from 18 to 33 years old. Um, sure. I, I don't know that anybody can truly not, not believe in a God. I think there's always that back pocket thought that, you know, oh, you, yeah. you know, you keep in yeah. your head, but, um, sure. you know, I, I say all that to say is that, you know, as you have, you know, matured, not only in age, but in spirit, it's one of the things that I've always thought of you as a friend, um, that I have just always admired that no matter where we were, who we were with you. I mean, you did every wedding. So you did my wedding, you did Michael's wedding, uh, you did John's wedding. And I think at all three of those, I was plastered and drunk and, you know, you were always so nice and, you know, never judged or anything and were very encouraging. And that's, that's admirable in a, in a pastor, because I think a lot of times you feel like, you need to make sure that everybody's on the straight and narrow and you've got to say your piece and yeah. you've got to do all these things. And so how did, how do you, uh, and, and again, I appreciate, uh, you, you'll never know how much I appreciate the love, uh, that you've had for my family, um, and myself, uh, throughout the years, but how did you do that with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other people that you had to deal with, especially as the church grew, um, like, how did you manage all of that? Well, I, I think a realistic approach is this. Now, I'm not so good, but I know who is. Amen. And I want <laughs> to try real hard to pattern my life and my thinking after him, but I struggle too. Right. Therefore, I, I love the term, we are fellow strugglers, fellow searchers. 
Uh, I don't struggle with alcohol right. because I never started drinking. I don't tr- struggle with uh, debauchery and w- chasing women and stuff because I didn't do that. Right. But I struggle with things like appetite. I get up from the table hungry, (laughs) not hungry, hungry. I'm talking about able to eat some more, and if if, if I can catch it, I'll eat it. It, It's just really a struggle. Well, I have an addiction. Mm. Uh, I guess my two addictions are food and hoarding. Okay. Uh, My office looks like the city dump. (laughs) It, It is piled as high as I can go. I have some lights out in my office that I'm in right now. I have some lights out, but I can't get to the floor under there to climb up and change them. To get it right. So I'm I'm running on on uh, probably sixteen uh, fluorescent lights, and only five of them work. <laughs> but and that's that's stupid. I mean, I know better. Right. But at the same time. I, I see. I saw you in those days as a young man. I loved very much, and that's never changed. Right. But mm-hmm. I saw you as a fellow struggler. If mm-hmm. I had had your situation, oh, Jody, it would have been more than a few years of detour for me. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have when I was growing up. We didn't have pornography. There was no such thing. Right. Uh, Sears catalog. And Penny's catalog had the lingerie section, right. and that was as close as we got in my neighborhood to porn. Right. Well, today, from what people tell me, and I'm not tech savvy at all, but people tell me that it is so easy for anybody of any age to access anything, mm, and nothing, yeah. nothing is prohibited today. Yeah, it's making Sodom well, and Gomorrah look like a spiritual retreat. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I heard someone say a few years ago, if God doesn't destroy America soon, he needs to apologize to Sodom. And <laughs> well, I, I don't want to go that route. Yeah, I mean, but it is a problem. Right. But I saw you as a fellow struggler. That's good. And that you mm. were doing really great in many ways with what you had to deal with. And, uh, see, I never did have girls hanging all over me. Mm. You had them. They had a line out there if they could be next. <laughs> and, and I saw that and I wasn't jealous, but I was, I was thinking, how does this guy survive? Right. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those I things. I didn't well, you, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad God let you live long enough to wake up and to see what really matters. Right. Amen. And, and he did, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for you and proud of you. But I, what I want to see is people like you and me and others have that patience mm-hmm. and that willingness to help other people who struggle, maybe not with the same things we did, right? but to struggle. They're struggling with something. Everybody has is, is got addictions, and the Lord can can help anybody who will come to him on his terms. Mm, so I want to try to be what the people uh, need to see in a person. And at the same time, I want to challenge myself to greater. If I ever wake up one morning and say, buddy, you got it made. Right. Oh, yeah. You, 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 <clears throat> right. you've, you've arrived. No, I haven't arrived. Right. I, I, I know where my strength lies, and it's not in my brilliance or in my money, or in my fame, it's always going to be 
as a, as an unprofitable servant in a way at the human level mm. under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. And if that's not who I am and what I'm doing, I'm on the wrong track. Amen. And I, I, I need constant correction. My brother is a pilot, was a pilot in the Air Force, and he spent a lot of his time while he's flying doing trimming. He, he moved his thumb when he did that. He said, I did a lot of trimming. What you mean is, you have any little correction that needs to be made, you make it while it's still little. Mm. And if you find yourself headed straight down toward the earth, you need to make a big correction fast. Right. Oh, but, that's good. And I, we all do this right. on the interstate. You just notice you're turning the wheel a little bit. Mm. You're not jerking it from right to left and all that. You're, you're trimming. And I need that constantly in my life, not to keep from going to hell, uh, the Lord's already been there for right. me. He took my sin on himself on the cross. Right. And I finally came as an adult to believe that. Mm. And I could teach it then. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm still living it because I do not have everything straight in my life. Mm. But I straightened some, and I know where I'm headed and who's going to get me there. It's not going to be so my good. great number of sermons and all that stuff. That's that's terribly uh, childish. Well, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't I don't disagree. But the the impact that you're making from you know teaching and preaching the word um, is going to send ripples out into the next generation and generations after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you've done and just my family alone, every one of my brothers and sisters have given their life to the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. all because of the foundation that we, we began, even though we didn't believe it was a foundation at the time, you know, we thought it was no. more of punishment than, you know, than a foundation, right. but it was, a, it was the foundation that, um, you know, gave us the, the remembrance, if you will, uh, when we finally saw Jesus and we finally understood who he was, um, all of those memories, like a lot of my scripture memory that I have is still back from then you know and unfortunately i went i went through the 80s when all the music was around i remember every 80s song and every artist but i can't remember scripture (laughs) half the time but but, um you know that foundation that you you started back in 1973 is just phenomenal and you know that that word is not going to return void and that's what's so so honorable just to and and so encouraging just to watch you you know, go through my biggest fear as a pastor is, is, is not finishing well. And I yeah. love what you were saying about those little corrections and you, you've got yeah. to just stay on top of that and allow the Holy spirit to move you in those to make sure right. that you don't get to that place. And so, right. so in your, in your, yeah. in your counseling, you know, like hundreds of people, like I have a role, uh, usually after three, three meetings, if, if they're not doing what I've asked them to do and, uh, they're not correcting themselves and they're not, you know, coming in with some kind of susten- sustenance that is actually helping them grow and get better or whether it's marriage or their children or whatever. I usually send them to a professional counselor. Do you have any kind of yeah. rule or regulation like that in your, your own life? I do. Okay. I do. I, I know, Since I didn't get to finish my degree at Vanderbilt, right? I do not have the credentials of a professional counselor. So I will meet with people. I do almost every day meet with some people and we talk about what we need to talk about. And I will refer the, the you know, I'm on one of these committees here for suicide prevention and oh, all good. that. 
we do a QPR, we call it question, persuade, refer. Mm, okay. You find out what the issue is and you do what you can to persuade the person to do the right things and take steps and so forth. But you refer not to dump the person on somebody else, but referral to a professional counselor is part of what God empowered the counselor to do. Mm, I'm, I don't have that credential. Right. You know, I don't, I don't have a fee. Nobody ever pays me for any kind of counseling because I, I, I ju- I'm not a counselor by trade. And so I help where I can, but I refer and I go with them if necessary. Right. Uh, one, one lady was so scared uh, about that. I said, if you want me to go with you on the first visit, I will. She said, would you at least go and sit in the waiting room? And if I can't do it without you, I'll ask you to come in. I said, yeah, I'll do that. See, that's what I can do. Mm, I can good. go around talking all day about what I can't do, but I, that's something I can do. And I did. I said she didn't need me. Mm. But I sat out there and waited for 50 minutes while she met with the counselor. And she came out and was all smiles and just so happy and thanked me. And I met him. And he, she told him what I was doing sitting there. And uh, he thanked me. And so we went on. And she's done fine. But I referred her to a professional counselor right. who had the tools to do some things that I couldn't do. That's good. Uh, okay. And I really believe in that. That's, that's really good advice. So all the sermons that you've preached, all the times that you've spoken, um, and all the messages that you've you've given, what would you say your number one message is? Uh, number one theological stance. Number one, you know, if you could if you could preach one message all the time, what would it be? All right, I think this would be it now. It wouldn't have been in 1985, but it would be now. And that is, love God with all your heart, soul, Mm -hmm. mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, and all the law and the prophets. Oh, praise God. That's the sum and substance of everything. Oh, that's so good. It'll fit under that umbrella somewhere. And your allegiance is to God. Don't, Don't put anybody or any group ahead of your allegiance to God. Mm. Uh, I I like to trust people. I really do trust a lot of people, but I don't trust anybody, including my family or anybody else. I don't trust anybody enough to let them take the place that only the Lord can take in my heart. Praise God. Mm. Oh, my. That is so so important that somebody says, well, I had these influences and I was discouraged about this. I understand that, and that's very real. Right. But... You decide who your Lord is, and if you decide early on that it's Jesus, you're not going to have a lot of that junk out there. Right. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That is so good. And that's what I, it's funny because our our tagline is "Love God, Love Others," uh, kind of at our, at our at our church. And yeah, I, it's hard to be. It is, you know, and, and people, you know, people are always, you know, they don't realize that, that was a question uh, posed to Jesus about yeah. which is the greatest kingdom. They were trying to trick him and get him, you know, choose one, sure. of the, you know, because the, the Pharisees, man, they all 613 were extremely important to them. And <laughs> this, these two, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of people don't understand that there's moral, civil and ceremonial law and uh, sure. you know, the moral law being the 10 commandments. And Jesus summed those up 
I think, is it Exodus that actually did it as well? Uh, and he was basically yeah. quoting Exodus, uh, just saying, well, the first four are all about God, and the next yeah. six are all about others, so do those two, and you've got everything squared away, and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And, and that's Well, so in good. Matthew 22, a guy came and asked him, what is the Great Commandment? Right. And so he goes to Deuteronomy 6, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, right. and strength, and then he went to Leviticus 19, He's quoting the law that they memorized, right, but exactly. missed. Yeah, and then love your neighbors yourself. And that's not, by the way, loving neighbor itself is not just a New Testament thing. It right. was old and old and new. Yeah, same God. And right, he wrote both. Right, and it, it's important, I think. To get, but he got the balance where he lived it perfectly. Right, he wants you and me to live it best we can with his help and with the indwelling Spirit of God and to give credit to deity rather than look what I did. Mm, I don't have good. any brag, right? God forbid that I should glory or boast except in the cross of Christ. Praise God. That is so good. I said Exodus. Yeah, you're right, Deuteronomy. Yeah. I couldn't think of yeah. which one that was, but yeah, that's so good. Well, Exodus has the Ten. Has the, the Ten, ten commandments. commandments, yeah, exactly. 20. Right. So let, let me ask you this, and we can kind of, we're going on an hour and a half now, and I don't want to take up much of your much more of your day, but... um. As a as a pastor and as one that that I know who has finished well, what were some of the disciplines in your life that that help you? Did you have a mentor? Um, did you have um, did you give the elders full access to your life? Like, what were the things that help you stay on the straight and narrow? Outside of your devotion and your love and your desire to please God, um, and and trust me, I know that that's. 99.9%, but that other yeah. 1% of just discipline and learning to um, defeat the flesh and live in the spirit, right. d- d- live in the spirit. What were some of the things that you had as a pastor that might help other younger pastors or myself? Well, I would have to say the first thing that comes to my mind is that I married the right girl. Amen. And, and if, if that's not there, there are going to be some major issues you have to deal with. Mm. Uh, Marsha is as good as gold. I know her better than anybody else knows her. She's mm. very quiet. Right. She doesn't say much. And she's kept me out of a lot of trouble by not gossiping with other people right. about stuff that she has to know. Right. Uh, I don't tell her everything. She doesn't want to know juicy gossip. Right. But there are times that she hears my phone conversation. She knows kind of what I'm talking about. Right. But I married the right girl. And I trust her as much as I can trust any human being next to the Lord. Right. And she puts up with whatever it is. She's been inconvenienced a thousand times and still is. Mm. And that's fine. She's glad to do it. She never complains about that kind of stuff. Now, the kids complain plenty. <laughs> but it's okay. They were kids. Right. You know, I know Karen was talking to one of her, one of her friends on the phone. They were, I guess, junior high school somewhere in there. And uh, she said, oh, we're supposed to go to Opryland Friday and Saturday. We'll spend the night in Nashville and go to Opryland two days. But somebody will die. and They don't think they're dead unless daddy says something over them. And 
<laughs> I heard her say it because we didn't have cell phones back then. And I said, honey, I, I, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I heard what you said. And she said, oh, I know I shouldn't say things like that, but you don't know how inconvenient it is for us to make a plan and then we have to interrupt it every time we have to interrupt it because somebody died right well i said they didn't mean to <laughs> yeah, exactly oh that but is great the kids did have some trouble with it and I, I know i didn't handle it well all the time right but back to what i started to say i married Marsha, and i've never strayed from her she's never strayed from me and that's terribly important, right? which leads me to the second thing. I never met with a female after hours unless she was with me or somebody, one of the elders, somebody was right. with me. Mm. I never yeah. did that. Right, that's my and, policy, uh, somebody, That's good. Yeah, good, yeah. good, because it, you don't have to be guilty of anything. You just have to be accused. Right, exactly, and, and that 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 takes yeah. away the above reproach as elders, and you're absolutely you're, you're done at that point. That's right, yeah. and and if the word gets out in Murray, of course, at this age, it's not likely to get out. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it, if the word had gotten out when I was forty, fifty, somewhere right. in there, that I was at the motel with somebody who was threatening suicide, that I went in the room. And an hour later, I came out, and right. somebody saw me come out, and then saw the woman come out. If that had ever gotten out, right. it, it would have, it would have, in the minds of some people, especially those who are looking for stuff like that, yes, exactly, it would have destroyed me in this community. Mm. And uh, I was just careful not to do it. I took Jim Thurman because we talked about him. He was a retired bank executive, and he had an office at Glendale. Mm. He was a treasurer and an elder. And every time I had to go somewhere that was questionable or I just needed somebody to go, he'd go with me. Mm, that's good. That's oh, good. Oh, it's wonderful. Right. And so so who, there's not a woman in Murray who ever said, I touched her or I made some kind of advance. It's not true. Right. And it's, as far as I know, it's never been said. Amen. Amen. And that, and that's yeah. I think that's probably the biggest problem right now in the church today is that we see yeah. – you know, uh, if you watch a lot of these um, younger pastors who get become celebrity pastors really quick, yeah. um, they yeah. get they they get to this place to where they are um, above above uh, accountability, and yeah. they fail every single time. And you know, one of the things that yeah. that I have to do too is you know, especially with social media and uh, cell phones nowadays, I don't even text or call uh, women without my wife. And I, I shouldn't say I'm a hundred percent like, you know, sometimes yeah. I'll get a phone call or a text or something like that. And I reply back, but 99.9% of the time I'm walking up and showing my wife relatively right. quick. And so that's one, you know, even doing those kind of things, uh, you just saw recently the village church, uh, Matt Chandler. Yes. Yeah. He got sat yes. down for, you know, inappropriate text as well. Yeah. Um, and then was restored. And then I think he just came back this past Sunday, but you know, it's, uh-huh. it's taken a lot of pastors out who, who don't do those things. So who was your yeah. mentor? Um, you know, kind of, I always relate kind of this, you know, this Paul mentality that we have to have. We need a Barnabas in our life, the encourager, right. the mentor, and then we also need a Timothy in our life to, to disciple and to pass that on. Um, right. Who are those kind of people in your life? Uh, I and I, and they probably that, changed a million times, but. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's changed some. But as a kid, 
I looked up to B.B. James, who was uh, at Eastwood Church of Christ, where I grew up in Paris, Tennessee. And I was in his classes where they had uh, a young men's training class on how to read publicly and lead prayer and things like that. But he took me under his wing, and he encouraged me to go to Free to Harlem, mm-hmm. which did change my life. Right. And uh, I, I spoke at his funeral a few years ago, and, and I, I was able to say that at the funeral, that he, he was just B.B. James. He was just a preacher down the road. He was just whatever he was. But looking back on it, he had more influence on me than he thought he did. And whatever I might accomplish in life, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. if it's on the right side of the ledger, then you can look to him for some of the influence and teaching and caution that he gave me. He said, don't ever go uh, to see a woman by herself Mm -hmm. Uh, and stuff like that. Well, I thought that was kind of silly. But right. um, I meet with people, male or female, at the Glendale Church now. I still use the conference room there. Okay. And the secretary is down the hall, and three or four other ministers are walking around. A lot of traffic right. there every day. So I don't mind doing that. And I, 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 don't, I don't lock the door. Anybody right. can come in who wants to. Right. And, and I know that there are people who molest children and uh, and somebody was smarting off the other day about the Catholic Church and stuff, and I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> the reason they get the press is because there's so many of them. Right. We have the same thing going on with youth ministers and, and pulpit people and others right. who do the same thing, but we just don't have the numbers to get the press. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's everywhere. The Baptist Southern Baptist Convention they went through some they stuff. They just had I didn't a make, big deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't make fun of them for that. Right. They've got problems. We've got them. This is earth. Heaven's later. Right. I keep reminding people of that. Mm. This is earth. Heaven's later. That's and so bad. you deal with it. And 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 it, the pot doesn't need to call the kettle black on this stuff. Right. We've all got issues. But the mentors that I really looked for were B.B. James first, and then for a period of time in there, especially Jay Lockhart. Who was he's ten years older than I am, and he's a tremendous expositor. He's, yeah. He does the best job of expository preaching that I've ever heard wow. anybody. And he's still living. We don't get together anymore. He's in Texas, and he's of course he's eighty five, right. eighty six, and had to slow down a lot. But uh, the best friend I had in college was Jim Arnett, Doctor James T. Arnett. Uh, who later became the dean of uh, the academic dean at Lipscomb. Oh, cool. And, yeah, he was he was a year older than me, but in a two-year college, that's a senior. Right. And I'm a freshman. <laughs> and and I, I wanted to follow him around because I, I believed he was top quality morally and biblically and in every practical way. He was a wonderful, and he still is an absolutely mm. wonderful person. And uh, others know that. Wow. Uh, they see it. He right. served as an elder for many years in uh, the Brentwood Hills Church of Christ in Nashville. And he's a balanced person. He's not judging anybody. He's trying to help everybody. And, and I love him dearly, even though we seldom get together. Uh, I'd say once every two or three years, we actually do get together and go out to eat and talk. And That's great. Stuff. He, so, he's one of the keys. So yeah. I had... Good examples. Mm, that's good. What about your Timothys? Like who? Who were well, the 
guys that you and I can imagine there's hundreds, if not thousands. Well, I took on myself several years ago to, uh, as I was getting older, and I know so many older preachers, pastors, and whatever you call them, get bitter toward the younger ones coming along because they're doing some things different. Right. And I'm thinking, different's not bad. I mean, transitions come. And uh, I know it's hard on some of the Israelites when Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> right, exactly. Joshua, Here comes Joshua. you're taking over. Yeah. Well, well uh, okay, uh, I want Moses back. Well, we can't get him back. <laughs> you're supposed to be following God, not Moses anyway. Right. But, but anyway, I, I, I really do think it's important to, uh, re, you know, to be reminded occasionally at least of the importance of the influence we have on other people. Right. But I look at younger preachers now as a, as a, I just thoroughly enjoy being around them because I was eager at one time and I was young and inexperienced. And if there's anything I can say or do that will help them to keep from reinventing the wheel, uh, you know, this won't work. And that will work. Mm. And But they probably, most of them, will have to try it themselves. But I, if I can help, not by telling them what to do or, or giving advice that's unsolicited, but if I can just help them to know that no matter what they do, I'm still going to love them and pray for them and try to help them. Mm, praise God. And so if you that's fall awesome. off the wagon, uh, call me first if you fall off the wagon. Right. Because I, I can deal with it. Right. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to try to ruin your work. Uh, I just won't do that. Right. If I have a competitive spirit with generational things, I've got some problems. Mm. And I need to go back and see who the Lord really is. Is it my ego or is it the Lord himself with his teachings and his example? Praise God. And, oh, that is I've awesome. got to I constantly try to do that. Right. And. And uh, I told one the other day he's he's gotten in some trouble where he's preaching. I said, "You you better watch out. You may turn out to be normal." (laughs) (laughs) This is this is what you're doing when you're stretching and trying to grow. Right. And I hope your shepherds, your older people, will try to work with you and not throw you to the dogs. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of the pastors nowadays are Google theologians and Facebook prophets. Um, you know, they, they don't spend a whole lot of time and, you know, reading some of the older, um, you know, the older works and they, they don't spend a whole lot of time in the Bible and, you know, they're going to Google what they, you know, what does this mean? And the next thing you know, they don't know who they got that advice from or, you know, what, what website it was and, you know, then they'll get up on the pulpit. And, and I did that early on in my years. It was just kind of like, this is what I think. And then as I, as I grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that my theology changes, you know, sure. and it's not like, you know, it's not detrimental to doctrine. It's just my theology changes a little bit. My understanding right. of God changes my, right. and I think you know, I love what you said earlier is that, you know, um, as, as we mature and as we wise up, you know, the grace and mercy that comes along in our, in our counseling and in our, um, you know, discipleship and all of that, uh, helps other people grow as well. You know, 10 years ago, I'm more like, Oh, you know, 
you better get rid of that sin. You better beat it to death and, you know, yeah. judge the fire out of them and, you know, give them a million different reasons why they can't serve in ministry. And, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years later, it's a lot different just because of that wisdom and growing um, and giving grace and because, yes. because God gives us grace. Well, we don't accept his grace, and so we can't very well be a channel. Mm, that's good. That's but we've good. got to understand he's in charge and we're not. He's not trying to lose us. Look at the price he paid to save us. Mm, amen. And so I'm, I'm just, I really, really want to get that message over. I don't want to say, oh, you have your sins, I have mine, and who cares? And I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to make it cheap. Right, exactly. Because, you know, Jesus paid too much for me to take it lightly. Amen. Uh, in my life or anybody else's. But. I know I'm in good company when people mess up and then try to get up and serve. I'm, I, I'm that way too. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. That is so good. Well, brother, I, I, you don't know how much I appreciate this. And uh, my mom, just so you know, she wanted me to tell you hi. Uh, I know that she. Well, don't good. Know. <laughs> you tell her hi for me. <laughs> I'll remember the good old days. I'm glad they're over. Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know it's good to good to reminisce of it. I'm glad yeah. I'm not back there. You know, some days I wish yeah. I was go back and change some things, but that's the path oh, that yeah. God God put me on, and I learned from right. him. And yeah. um, I'm as honored as to. As to have known you for as long as I have and, uh, well, and to watch you walk and, and to be one of the men and, you know, um, you're one of the, one of the few that I've watched finish well, uh, from my childhood. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for that. And, um, well, I'm honored. Thank you. I, I appreciate it and love you so much and your family. Yeah, I want you to tell Nan hi for me. I sure will. I remember your wedding. I never <laughs> will forget your wedding. I think I said in the wedding, I said, I bet there's not a place in Illinois that has a better looking group of people gathered. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are dressed up so pretty. Well, it, we, we, we remember every time that you've been there, you've been to every funeral that we've been back to in Murray. Oh, yeah. uh, you've always, uh, you know, you've always been a part of our lives and uh, I'm just honored to be able to, you know, glean a little bit of your wisdom uh even for myself and i hope it uh it does something for somebody else listening on the podcast as well i hope to be helped too and i love you and i appreciate you and i respect you and keep up the good work and if you if you fall down get up amen amen (laughs) i appreciate that all right right. well brother thank you so much for today i love you um uh, tell marcia and the family hi and uh, we will talk to you soon brother very good. Thank right. you so much. God bless, John. Thank you. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.